word. We pray the Holy Spirit will illuminate our understanding. But Romans chapter 8 is a place that is just very central uh, in my life. So find Romans chapter 8. I know we, we go there a lot. But I want us to turn there and look at the passage. We're going to read uh, some from there in just a moment. Anybody feel a battle going on? I mean, a real battle. I mean, we can come to church and try to act all spiritual. We can try to act all like, you know, we're not who we really are. But the thing is, is sometimes what we can't see deep down is the battles that rage in our hearts and in our minds. And I feel it every week. I feel it as we get closer to the weekend, you know, as, as it's, like, it's like the enemy is going to fight. But sometimes my biggest fight um, isn't necessarily with, with Satan, I mean, I give him a lot of material to use, you know. Uh, my biggest battle is, is a lot of times with me. And uh, I think the wrong things. I feel the wrong things. I, I wallow in, even though I have faith in God, I, I wallow in self-doubt. And there's, there's hardly a week goes by that I'm not up here praying because I know I'm not worthy. I know I'm not capable And the struggle, and just ask God to help me to trust you, and help me not to get in your way, and help me during the week to study and prepare so that we can bring out your truth, because that's the only thing that matters, and there's a war going on, but that's, that's, the, that's the truth. The Bible teaches us there's a war going on, a war for your soul. And we find out in the pages of scripture that your soul is the real you. It's the real you on the inside. We spend so much time on this on the outside. Well, some of us do. But anyway, a lot of us spend a lot of time on what's on the outside. Uh, but the real us is who is on the inside. When God created humans, the Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 2 verse 7 that he breathed into them the breath of life and they became living souls. Now, the soul is that immaterial part of you. It's the eternal part of you. It is the real you, your mind. Watch this. It's your mind, your will, and your emotions. Okay? That's the real you. You are a soul that has a physical body. You're, you're not a body that has a soul. You're a soul that has a body. And when you die the physical death, your, your physical body dies but the Bible says your soul will exist forever. So you're not a body with a soul, you're a soul with a body. And the mind is that important and powerful part of the inner you, of your soul. You make decisions with your mind. Decisions with your mind. And with that, he gave you a mind different than all the rest of his creation, of all the animals who operate on instinct, and they can make some decisions, things like that. But God gave us, created us in his image. We have a mind, and it involves a will. But our mind can make decisions that set our will. We can surrender our will, or we can be stubborn uh, and resist God's will. Our mind can also make decisions to control the emotional part of us. So it's a very, very powerful part of us. A lot of times in the New Testament, the word uh, that's translated a lot of times heart 
we, we look at the heart as, as the uh, emotional part of us, right? You broke my heart. Uh, you know, things like that. Or my heart is happy. Uh, but in the New Testament, the heart was more, it, it involved the emotions, but more the seat of the mind and decisions. Whereas emotions in Bible days was more like the, the midriff, right? The uh, spleen or bowel. And that's why the old King James talks about bowels of compassion, which I know I've said this before, but I'm so glad that our culture and our language doesn't work that way, you know, uh, because, you know, you could tell your sweetheart, you know, you make my heart go flip flop. That would sound better than saying, you know, you make my colon anyway, uh, you know what I'm saying? But, but, but you need to get the imagery right here. You need to understand. So a lot of times when it's talking about the heart, it's talking about uh, the mind as well. Uh, so we find out in the Bible that our souls were corrupted by sin and we were separated from our relationship with our perfect creator because of sin. And we all are sinners now because a human, whole human race was corrupted by sin in what we call the fall of man. And we've all inherited a sinful nature from Adam. But we're not just sinners by nature and sinners by birth. We're all sinners by choice because we've all chosen to sin. The Bible's clear on that. And we're all of our lives illustrate that, doesn't it? But uh, once you received God's gift of salvation, and that's why Jesus came and died on the cross and rose again. Once you receive that by faith, uh, the Bible says that not only do you have eternal life, but what happens is he begins to renew you. He begins to remake you from the inside out. But how many of us still feel like there's a battle going on? How many still feel like that? Okay, I'm saved. I've trusted the Lord. But there's still a struggle. Paul actually writes about that in Romans chapter 7. He also writes about it in Galatians chapter 5. About how that the spirit, uh, the spirit of God in me and the flesh part of me. That there's a struggle. There's a battle that goes on there between that. Uh, in Romans chapter 7 he talks about you know the things that I want to do I don't end up doing. I mean, we've read this and studied this before, but in chapter seven, Paul's talking about that. He talks about the good that I want to do, I don't end up doing. Anybody ever feel this battle, feel this way? And the things that I don't want to do, I end up doing. And he says, woe is me, is there any help? Well, chapter eight is the answer that we're going to look at. And so... Um, uh, this, this battle that happens. And, and I, like I said, I'm constantly having these mental struggles of various kinds. And the enemy plays mind games with me. How about you? You ever feel that? I mean, and we're living in a very complex time and culture. There's a lot of crazy stuff happening. Many people have lost their minds, I think. But there's a lot of pressure, but especially our young people. Our young people and our college students, young families trying to make it, a lot of pressure. But I find that not only does the enemy play mind games with me, I, I actually play mind games with myself. I know, yeah, you're thinking he does need help, doesn't he? Well, that's one way we came on this series is as, as, as Life Church was going to be doing this and in the pastor network, finding out this, this study was coming out. Uh, it really meant something to me because I struggle with this. You would think you would grow and mature as a Christian and this would not be a problem, but I struggle a lot of times with my, my mind, with, with, with everything that I, you know, we can preach about it. We can preach about worry and anxiety and things like that, you know, and have you ever done that? You pray, Lord, um, 
you know, you say, cast all your cares on you and you start naming them and you give them to him and everything. And so now I can go back to sleep and I cannot worry about it. I give it all to you, Lord, in Jesus name. Amen. Okay, Lord, let's try that again. <laughs> Somehow or another, I say it's still here, right? Uh, there are a lot of things like that, whether, whether it's selfish thoughts, whether it's lustful thoughts, whatever it is, we have the battle that happens. And, and so often I want to trust God, but I also have a part of me that wants to be in control. Are you with me? You know, I, I, I so often uh, also uh, have that, that struggle. Maybe you're like this. One moment you feel full of confidence and faith, that God is with you, he is for you, he has called you. And in the very next moment, you have this crippling insecurity that paralyzes you. Or maybe a selfish or a lustful thought that trips you up or holds you back. And what I've discovered is that the mind is a battlefield. And we're going to be looking at this in the weeks ahead and doing Bible studies and things that are going to coincide with this. But most of life's battles are going to be won or lost in our mind, in our heart, in our mind. And uh, so I want you to uh, uh, get ready to read this in this, in this series. What we're going to do, we're going to study scripture. I'm inviting small group study uh, that we can use. And um, the book that has uh, come out, we're, we may look at that. Uh, but uh, right now, would you just, uh, if you can, if you feel comfortable standing, would you just stand with us and let's read this together. Romans chapter 8, verse 5, because I want to set... I want to kind of set our minds in a little theological situation here where we understand how this works because I've been controlled by my own self and my own fleshly mind all this time. How do we flip the switch? So we're going to talk about flipping the switch today. Romans chapter 8 and verse 5. Let's uh, read it together. And if you're watching online, just stop what you're doing. Pull up the scripture. Uh, get your Bible out. It's, it's important to have this open, to look at it, to hear it, to see it, uh, to let it get into our heart and mind. So he says in Romans chapter 8 verse 5, he says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. For to set the mind. Did you see this? Set the mind. It's your mindset. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Did you hear that? Think about that. It cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. 
Will you pray with me? Lord, I pray you just open our minds and open our hearts, Lord, and help us to focus on your truth. And may your truth fill us. And may your light expose some things that need to be exposed. And may your truth push out the lies that we've held on to from the flesh, from the enemy, from our culture, and from whatever, Lord. And help us to flip that switch, Lord, so that we're controlled by your word, your spirit, your will, instead of just our own selfish desires. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. All right. So what we want to do as we study this is we're going to get the scripture and what it says. Also, uh, this study here, as I say, in winning the war in your mind, we're going to be doing some small group stuff on that. But we find out what the Bible says. And what we're going to find out is, is science is just now starting to catch up with scripture because they're making discoveries about how our minds work and how our minds can be renewed and changed and new neural pathways can be established and old old pathways that have, have dominated our mind can be weakened. And even science has come along. And the Bible has already told us this thousands of years ago. So we're going to be looking at that. And the good news is that God's word is powerful. I want to tell you that this isn't just to help you. Are you hearing me? This isn't just to help you. This isn't just to help me become a better me. What God's word wants to do and what this truth wants to do in renewing our mind isn't just to help us. It is to transform us. Because I need more than help. I need transformation, okay? And that's what we're all about here. And so God's word is able to do that, to transform and renew my mind with his truth. So here's the thought that's going to be central. And that is, is that our lives are always moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts. Think about that. What we think shapes who we are. What we think shapes who we are. Proverbs 3.23 said it, Solomon said it so long ago, as he thinks in his heart, so is he. That's how you, what you think your strongest thoughts, that's the direction your life's going to move. And in changing our lives, God wants to change our minds. Change our minds. Oh, by the way, there's some theological words that, that describe that. The change of mind is the word repentance. Because literally that's what the word repentance means. It means to turn. It means to change. <clears throat> that you change your mind from this focus to that focus. Uh, and then to renew our minds. That's the word sanctification. Of making us holy. So he wants to, are you following that? Change our mind, renew our minds. So straight, Satan's strategy to win the battle of our minds is to do this. Very simple. Is to get us to believe lies. To believe things that aren't true. Now they may sound true. There may be some truth to it. There may be a lot of truth to it. But the whole thing is not true. Remember the best liar is a liar who tells the lie that sounds the most like the truth. Or seems the most like the truth. The best liar is not the liar who tells the biggest whoppers. That no one believes. Um, you know. You'd be like. Somebody like that's like the little boy who cried wolf. Remember that story? Uh, is that still an okay story? I mean everything's kind of like being. 
You know, <laughs> I don't know. Is wolf a good word? Is it a bad word? I don't know anymore. But, uh, but, but you know, we had a guy growing up and he did some work for us on the farm and he was always telling these big whoppers, you know, he was seeing UFOs uh, and, and let's not forget the black panthers that are everywhere, right? You know, uh, it's a, that finally somebody on a game camera I saw on the news had a picture of a mountain lion and there is a dark variety of them and, and it looks like, but, but these were all black, they were everywhere. He would see them every, almost, you know, every week week, you know, driving on the dirt roads, bears. Uh, he would see, you know, have all these different stories, but he told such whoppers that nobody believed him. But if he ever told us true story, we probably wouldn't believe him because he told so many unbelievable things. Uh, so you know what? The enemy's not like that. He's going to tell things that sound better to our logical, sinful mind than the actual truth. It, it's more attractive to us. So this is the thing that God wants us to focus on right here, that if we believe, and because if we believe a lie, believing a lie will hold us back from doing what God has called us to do. And there are a lot of lies about God. There are a lot of lies about myself. There are a lot of lies about other people that we will tend to believe if we're not careful. So here's the focus. Are you ready? Here's the focus ahead. Here's, what, here's the formula. Here's what we're going to try with the Lord's help to do. We're going to try to expose lies with light from Scripture. So if the lies are going to get exposed, it has to be the light of God's truth that is eternal, that never changes. That shines into my heart and life. I have to take God's truth in to expose those lies. Then the next thing that happens involves an act of my mind and my will is to remove those lies, but the lies can't be. So a lot of times we try to get, and we're going to look at this maybe next week, we get bad thoughts out. And if we just try to remove the lies and get the bad thoughts out and the wrong thoughts out, we create a vacuum and it just sucks them right back in. The only way to successfully do this is to identify the lies and remove the lies by replacing them with God's truth. So as God's truth fills us and fills our hearts and fills our minds, it pushes the lies out and pushes the negative thoughts out. Now, this isn't the power of positive thinking. There's a lot of fluff out there on that. It's not that because you need more than just what you can come up with. You need more than just you trying to be more positive. You need more than you just trying to say affirming words and things like that. I mean, all those things are useful, helpful tools, but what you and I need is the presence of God himself in our hearts and in our lives and in our minds and his truth coming in a steady diet into our minds, into our hearts to transform us. Like I said, I need more than help. I need transformation. So something incredible happens because we're in Christ. And that's part of Paul's focus now in Romans is that we were living in, our, in sin, but now we are in Jesus. We've trusted Jesus and what he did. And when you do that, you are in Christ and Christ is in you. And our faith, our trust, our hope, our salvation is in Christ. Not ourselves, our abilities to think our way out of things. It's in Christ. My life is in him. He not only gives me life, he is my life. So once you're saved, you no longer are living for yourself in the flesh. You may still live in a sin-cursed world, and then our flesh is still cursed by sin, right? I'm a new creature in Christ, but this new creature in Christ lives in this sin-cursed flesh, right? So I still have that battle between the fleshly nature and then the Spirit of God in me. 
once I'm saved. But the good news is that he's trying to tell us is I don't have to be controlled by my fleshly nature. I don't have to be controlled by my corrupt, sinful human nature, selfish nature. I don't have to be controlled. It may be there. I'm going to have to deal with it every day, but I don't have to be controlled by it. I don't have to say, I just can't help it. I'm human. You know, part of that sounds, it is true. But even though I can't help myself, I have divine help available. But I've got to make the choice. I've got to flip the switch of control from me to Christ. So how do I do that? I mean, here's the thing. Are you, follow this. All of our lives, we lived consciously and unconsciously controlled by our, our flesh, our self, our sinful nature. We, were, we thought we were just doing, you know, independent and all that, but we were really controlled by that fleshly nature. Our thought patterns were basic. Our thought patterns were selfish. They were corrupt. So how do we change? How do we overcome? And remember, I found out that the biggest enemy that I have to overcome is myself and that sinful flesh. The biggest enemy is me. Um, remember, that he didn't just go to the trouble to die on the cross to save you, not just to save you, but also he did all of that to change you and me. We're like his work of art. We're his workmanship. And Paul talks about the struggle in Romans 7 that I've already mentioned, and the answer is right here. And as I said, we find out, let's just get another look at it and think about it. I want to See, that's why I want to use all these tools. I want to engage your ears. I want to engage your eyes, your mind, everything, because there's so many distractions today that other generations never had. And whatever tool God gives us, I want to use. I want us to be able to meet in smaller groups and to be able to go through these things and with people that we know and trust and, 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 and help and encourage and be real and, and grow. Biggest enemy is self. Biggest enemy. Wow. So in Romans chapter 8 verse 5, I want to read it again. He says this. He says, for those who live according to the flesh, that is the switch is on the flesh, you know, the, the on power flesh. You're controlled by the flesh. If you live according to the flesh, you set your mind, your mindset. See, there it is. There's the mind that is set on things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their mind on things of the spirit. You got to make a decision right here. You decide, God's not going to force you, but if you're going to live in the power of God, you have to make up your mind. Your mind has to be set on the things of the spirit. Verse six, he says to set the mind on the flesh is death. That's the end result of it. It's not freedom. It's not you just being able to do everything you want to do. It is death. Separation from God. It is death. He says, but to set the mind on the spirit is what? Life. And he throws another word in there. Peace. How, how much? We need that. We need peace deep down inside. Life and peace. This is what it's all about. So as I'm coming to uh, the battle of, of switching from me being in control to letting him win the, the battle in my mind and the war that's going on in my mind, I've got to flip that switch. I've got to flip control to him. I've got to be an end of me and let him have control. This is where most people don't want to let go is, is that somehow we think we know better than our creator. We think we know better than God and we want to call the shots and we want God to just back us up and help us do what we want to do. 
Instead of saying, here am I, Lord, send me. Not my will, but thy will, right? This is a problem. Because there's a lot of times we get our will and God's will confused if we're not really being saturated in God's truth. So in verse five, he points out that those who live their life dominated or controlled by the sinful nature, they've got their mindset on the flesh. It's their, it is the default mindset, right? And when stressful times come, many times we opt to default. We go back to that default. I mean, it happens all the time. You know, you're in the word and you're, you know, you're, you're trying to live for the Lord, be a light, be an encouragement. And you come in and your spouse says that one thing that just sets you off. And, you know, if you're kind of wired like me uh, pretty quick, you say the exact wrong thing, too. You know, and, and it may have been all an accident, but, but all of a sudden, you know, things start, you know, it's, it, it's just that. <clears throat> Nobody here knows what I'm talking about, evidently, but uh, it just it, it can happen. It can be surprising sometimes. And so he wants to help us switch that in our mind and reset it. So I have to, I have to learn. I have to practice this. I have to, and that's kind of what the journey we want to go through is, is learning some of those, exposing some of those areas in my life and learning how to apply. Not just know, I know a lot of truth, guys. I know a lot of truth. It's applying and living and submitting to that truth. That's the catch. So are there some exercises that I do? You know, this is the way we're going to find out as we go through this. And we've talked about it before, just how this works. Um, you know, like um, whether it's uh, shooting basketball, guys hitting free throws, right? Crucial, crucial. Games of won and lost at the line. And it's a mental thing as much as anything. But you, you practice and you shoot, you shoot. Uh, Rice, I'm not sure how many free throws you shoot a week, but I'm sure you're there. You're doing it, right? And um, you need just a whole bunch of people come in and just do all kinds of things to distract you and see if you can still concentrate. But, um, but, but try to, try to you, you, just that muscle memory. And as you do it over and over again, the, the neural pathways in your mind that control, in your brain actually, that control those motor skills get stronger and stronger and stronger, right? And if you quit playing ball for a long time, your mind remembers that you know how to do this, but whenever the muscle control, somehow there's been a breakdown, right? You can't do what you used to, what you thought you could do. It's because those, those uh, connectors get weaker and weaker. This is all part of science. We'll confirm that. Just like golf, the guys that play golf very good, you've got to do that a lot. You've got to do it correctly a lot to get the, the right, you know, connectors in your brain strengthened that have the, the uh, muscle memory, the, the control and all of that. Boy, was I reminded of that this week. Uh, at, our, at our minister's retreat, you know, Curtis and Randy and I, we got together with other guys. And I've been playing like once a year. Uh, you can't do that for a long time and it go well. At least I can't. So I'm playing with uh, Ray and Matt, Zach, and, and, uh, and Gerald. Uh, so we had a great time of fellowship. But I was horrible. I mean, I'm seriously thinking the old... Terrible clubs that I have need to be yard sold as soon as possible. And I need to remove the possibility of trying this, doing this anymore. Because, you know, at one time I played enough where I got to where I could kind of hang in there. But, but it just wasn't that way. It's like, you know, I would think through it. I would kind of do a practice. Oh, that's a great practice swing. Why did I waste it? You know, but then when I got ready to hit the ball, it's like something terrible happened. And I would say out loud, that's not at all what I was thinking I was going to do. 
That's not at all. In my mind, I went through it all, but see, I hadn't put it into practice enough. And the motor skills and the memory, muscle memory and all of that had deteriorated to a point. There was a disconnect between the thought and the action. And that happens in our spiritual life, too. That's why we have to practice, put into practice God's truth. We have to learn to identify ways and learn. I always think of that old Andy Griffith episode. You remember the couple that was fighting so bad, you know, and he was trying to get them to, you know, morning dear, you know, and say all the good things. But, but their hearts weren't changed. They knew, but then they went right back to fighting. So we've got to put into practice and learn to mean things. We've got to have a mind change and a heart change, and it's going to take time. You didn't and get the way you are overnight. There are, mind, there, there are habits of the mind and thought habits and attitude tendencies that we have. You've had all your life, 20 years, 30 years, 50 years, 70 years. Dare I say 90 years, okay? And that's been our habit. We've been controlled like that. Even though you can be saved in a moment and know you're going to heaven, it takes years as we grow and our minds renewed and our actions and responses changed, led by the Spirit, not by myself and my flesh. See? So don't give up on you. God's not giving up on you yet. But we've got to get serious about this whole thing. It's, it's called sanctification. And we grow. So here's what God wants to do. He wants to use his word. And here's what I need every day. Uh, my files, I don't know. They get corrupt every day. They do. I need to resync my mind with the word of God. Huh? I need to sync, you know. I need that because every day I'll, I'll get to, I'll wander. I need to continue to download God's truth into my operating system. Even the computer geeks aren't even impressed with that. Do we even have any? I don't know if we do. I need your help. But anyway, on some things. But, but that's, that's what we're talking about. My, my whole operating system needs to be rewritten reprogrammed by the Holy Spirit, renewed, transformed. And this is exactly what he wants to do into my heart and my mind. And if you bypass that, things are never going to change. You'll, you'll try in your own strength for a little while. You'll do better for a little while, and it'll just go right back. For it to be transformation, it's a metamorphosis that he wants to happen in our life. And so we come to the end of like the flesh controlling, and now the Holy Spirit is leading us. And living controlled by the Spirit means real life and peace, he says. And we never truly learn to live until we're willing to die to self. So if we're trying to control our Christian lives and do it in my own strength and I'm being stubborn and I'm just trying and I'm trying, you know, I'm just trying my best. Lord, I pray. I'm sorry. I'll try harder. If I'm not careful, if I'm just trying harder in my strength and not seeking his truth and his strength, I'm trying to live the spirit filled life. If I'm not careful in the power of the flesh, you cannot do that. That's not me saying that. That's exactly what Paul's saying here. The flesh cannot do it. You can't keep God's will, God's laws. You will not do it. Can't. It's impossible. That's what he's saying. It is absolutely impossible. It takes time uh, to do this. So verse eight is is, is what he's emphasized. Listen, can we read it together again? I want to throw it up there. Verse 7, 8. For the mind that is set on the flesh, it's just me being me. Really. Selfish me. Fleshly me. 
is hostile to God. Why? Because I want control. I want to call the shots. I want to do what I think is best for me. If I'm not careful, the Holy Trinity, me, myself, and I, I may try to throw it in there like I'm following God, but I'm really following me. And he says, you got to understand that your fleshly mind is hostile to God because he doesn't want God to have control, wants me to have control. And it says, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, did you hear that? It cannot. So there's a part of me that can't be reformed and reborn. It's got to die so that he lives through me. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So there's no way I can please God if I'm operating in the fleshly mindset. There's no way. Well, what do I do? (laughs) So he's talking to folks who obviously have this struggle. True? Paul talked about his own struggle in the previous chapter. That's why I like verse nine. I've read it. I want to put it up there so you can see it. He says, you, however... I'm so, that is such a rich statement. You, however, it's different with you, but you, this is the way it is. This is the truth, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. You can't be saved without the Holy Spirit. You don't get saved and then somehow receive the Holy Spirit later. It's the Spirit's work to call you, to convict you, to convert you, to regenerate you. All of this. And so he's saying, if you're truly saved, you are not among those who cannot please God. You can please God. You have the ability to please God because of his Spirit living inside you. He says, you are in the flesh. You are not in the... Did you see that? You are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. Wait a minute. You know, Lord, I appreciate the truth of your word, but I'm struggling with this right now because pretty sure I'm still right here living in this sin-cursed fleshly body, aren't I? Right? So what do you mean by that? Yeah, you're still in the flesh, living in this sin-cursed body, but you don't have to be controlled by it. It's what he's saying. If you've been saved, the same spirit, that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. There's a new power in town. See, I was controlling things myself. There's a new sheriff in town now. And I relinquish control to him. I have inside me, it's the presence of God, the spirit of Christ, the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, God himself living inside me. I have God's truth to guide me. And with those... He says, you are not among those who can't please. You actually, because of what Jesus did on the cross and God's presence in it, you actually have the ability to please God. Boom. That's powerful. New life, new power in control of me. And I've used this illustration before, but I'm going to kind of wrap things up with it because, you know, uh, I always think about this. It's never, you know, it's just these kind of things that amaze me. It's just like, wow, because you're on the, you're at the airport. You see these giant 747s that hold hundreds of people, you know, and they're like so big and they weigh so many tons. It's just amazing. How can that thing ever fly? You know, how does it, how does it soar in our atmosphere? 
But because it's shaped just right, as it gathers, as it gains speed and gets going faster and faster, another force that is acting on it. The force of gravity is holding it on the ground, but there's another force and another law at work. And it is the force of the law of aerodynamics. And as the, the air goes around the body of that plane and the wings, it creates a lift. And lo and behold, it lifts up off the ground and soars in our atmosphere, seeming to defy gravity. But it hasn't. Where's gravity? We're not talking outer space here. We're talking in our atmosphere. Where's gravity? It's still there, still pulling down. Why hasn't it fallen back down? Because another force has overpowered it and lifted it above gravity. And that's just what the Spirit of God wants to do in your life. The flesh may still be pulling at you, but there's another force, the presence of God and the truth of God to work in your life, to lift you up so that you don't have to be controlled by the flesh, that you can be, it can be overpowered, controlled by another force. Just like the airplane does. That's what God wants to do in our life. If we'll trust him. If we submit to him. So here's my situation. I am in Christ. Christ is in me. His spirit is living in me. If you're not saved or not sure you are. You can settle that today. You can settle that by just trusting Jesus. And putting your faith in him. Admitting that you're a sinner. And trusting him. And he says this is a promise. This isn't just for some people. This is for everybody that trusts me. And anybody that doesn't have the spirit of Christ. Then you don't belong to Christ. Because if you do belong to Christ. This is part of the deal. That even though you're still living in this old body of flesh. That's cursed by sin. And has a sin nature. Your physical body. You know, even this is true. In verse 10 he says. That the body is dead because of sin. If Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. I'm still going to die a physical death. And the reason why is because um, one day I'm going to lay aside this flesh. One, listen to me. One day I'm going to be free of the sinful nature. It's all going to be gone. I'm going to be made perfect. Here's the thing that he says in 1 Corinthians 15, 50. This I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Did you hear that? Nor does corruption inherit incorruption. So this body is corruptible. Going downhill. <laughs> Some of y'all are still going uphill. And I have plateaued. And physically, we're going downhill. I hope I don't get like some of you guys here. Like, how you doing? Oh, man, boy, my lower back, my hip, my, you know. It, but but it's, it's kind of like what's on my mind. You know, things are changing. You can't do what you, yeah. But I'm glad that the new body I'm going to have is incorruptible. Amen. Yeah, amen. Somebody else ought to say amen. Amen. Then he says in verse 52, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, if we're alive when this happened, at the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible. And if you're alive, we'll be changed. Faster than, what does the twinkling of an eye mean? Faster than you can bat your eye. If you're thinking you're going to wait till the last moment and get saved, you won't have time. It's faster than you can blink. This is going to happen. And so one of these days, this flesh is going to be left behind. So the flesh can't be reformed. The flesh has to be crucified. That's why Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ. It's not me who lives. It's Christ who's living through me. That's what that means. Uh, and so he mentions next in verse 11 is the same truth. And that we sang about earlier. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead. Will also give life to your mortal bodies. Through his spirit who dwells in you. So if the spirit of God who dwells in us. 
can change my body and resurrect me just like he did Jesus, I promise you he wants to resurrect our minds and renew our minds and transform. That same power that rose Jesus from the grave lives in you. This is the answer. This is where we have to start if we're going to make the switch. If we're going to be controlled by the spirit and not by our selfish desires. And so that's the thing that he says. He says, if, did you see that? If, and this is the biggest if of your life there in verse 11. If, does he, does he? He says, uh, if, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. That's the power you have available. It's the most important thing. Now you have the ability to say no to not just the world and not just to those people. You have the ability to say no to the devil. You have the ability to say no to yourself. And you've got the power and the truth to back it up. I'm learning. Biggest thing isn't so much in my life the power to say no to the world or the enemy's temptations, but to say no to me and my corrupt negative thoughts. And fill them with God's truth. If the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, don't you think he has power? And he has power to resurrect your mortal body. Don't you think he can resurrect your mind and transform it? That's how it's going to happen. So there are thought patterns. There's things you've believed about yourself that are lies. There's things that you believe about yourself that are lies. They've come from other people. They've come from Satan. They may have come from yourself. And I want to I wanna just go on a journey in the weeks ahead of just exploring God's truth. And it may be different for all of us and letting God's truth fill us and expose the lies and push out the lies and figure out how we need to practice during the week to overcome and let him renew and let him change us. And all that's going to spell victory in our lives, life and peace. And it's also going to bring glory to God. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father.